good to see you guys again. Students that are back, those who are new, freshmen, grads. And as far as the Kellogg students are concerned, I hope to see you in a few minutes after the service for lunch. But I'm glad all of you guys are back. Hey, you know what we're doing right now on Sunday mornings is not normal. We're in like, we're in a little breather section here. We usually preach through books of the Bible. About two or three weeks ago, we finished up the book of Romans. And in October, when everybody's back, we're going to be starting the book of 1 Samuel. So we're just kind of taking a breather in between. I'm, it gives me a chance to study some things that I haven't studied before, and I get to preach some different messages that I, I've, I've not done before. And, 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 and to be honest with you, these breather weeks are not so much uh, my normal preaching genre, voice. <laughs> it's more of a, a talk or even a lecture, so I'm... I'm not trying not to bore you when you think of the terminology lecture, but we're going to do a little bit of studying here this morning, as we have been doing for the past few weeks. So this is not normal. We'll get to normal once we start 1 Samuel in October. But during this interim, I'm kind of talking about stuff, what I want to talk about, uh, stuff I want to study. And basically what I wanted to do during this four-week interim is, we're in week three, by the way, is I wanted to talk about what does it mean to serve God with your whole life? What does it mean to serve God with your whole self? This is something that we like to call head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. Now, if you've ever been in church before, you, you may have heard that the goal is to get the truth from your head to your hearts. And what we're saying is that's not enough. We're just not trying to get the truth from our heads to our hearts. We're thinking we need to go further. We need to do something. We need some actions. We're not just here to believe stuff and feel stuff. We want to do stuff. So we have this head, heart, hands thing going on. So the first week, which is about two weeks ago, we talked about a Christian worldview. What does it mean to believe the Bible? To be shaped in our minds by the truth of God. So as we are shaped in our minds, that will play out in what we do. But often there is a disconnect from our belief to our actions. Why don't you do what you say you believe? And that comes back to the heart. Something's going on inside, something we need to deal with. All right, so we got the Christian worldview. Our affections are shaped by the gospel. That plays out in our hands, what we do with our actions. Now, this is what we've done in the past. I've, I've preached these head, heart, hands before. I may have done it several times. We shape our minds. We get our hearts in line. And then we always come to the hands. I, I always have an emphasized um, compassion, mercy, social justice, and then I want you to go and do something. Don't just sit there, get up and do something. And on those Sundays, we've not even responded in worship, singing. I made you get out of here and go do something. But today, we're not going to do that. I'm going to take a different shift today on the hands. But the doing something, compassion, mercy, social justice, I don't want to throw that away. Of course not. So in the past, I've had you look at three different ways that you can serve in Evanston even as a student during your time at Northwestern or as a family living here or living in Chicago, three different ways that you can serve. If you are looking, if you're kind of the person like, you know what, I really want to serve those who are vulnerable, those who are hurting, tell me how to do that, I'm about to tell you. We've done this several times before. We try to focus on three different sets of those who are vulnerable. Those who are vulnerable who are senior citizens, those who are vulnerable children, uh, junior high kids, and those who have vulnerable families and children that need to be cared for. Three different organizations that we ask to come help our church to facilitate these hands, and they're here today. The first one is senior connections. This is where someone in our church, a family or an individual or a college student, gets matched up with a senior citizen, and you go visit them for one hour a week, and you serve them, and you love on them. You can sign up today. 
to learn more information about connecting with a senior citizen. Second way you can help those who are vulnerable is we can connect you with a junior high kid in the Evanston area that is at risk through uh, something called Project SOAR that's run by the YMCA. I know there are students here right now that did Project SOAR last year, and so I want to encourage you, hey, do it again. You're new, jump in. It's a chance for you to serve a vulnerable kid, whether you end up going to this church or not, okay? You can still serve a vulnerable uh, junior high child within Evanston area. And the third way is to serve vulnerable families, and that's called safe families. It's the way you can care for kids that are in transition. Perhaps their families are going through a season of homelessness or they're going through a season of, of illness or sickness, and rather than putting the children into foster care, they can be cared for by people within our church, maybe for two weeks, three weeks, two months. You're, you're, you're jumping in, you're filling the gap, and you're caring for these kids for a season until they go back to their families. Safe Families is also here in the lobby. And these are ways that we can serve those who are vulnerable within our community with our hands. We can do something. That's generally what I would be preaching about this morning, but I'm not going to. I'm going somewhere different with our hands today, all right? Now, like I said, it's more of a lecture. Hope you can hang, all right? This is why I want to go a different direction today. It all starts like this. Ready? Jesus was a carpenter. You can kind of let that sink in. Now, of course, he's more than a carpenter. Jesus is the divine son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died the atoning death on the cross for sin. He rose victorious and is now reigning at the right hand of God. But as far as time-wise is concerned, when he was here on this earth, he spent most of his time being a carpenter. Now, I'm not going to make any of these huge theological deductions of his vocation, but I do want to say this. His years spent as a carpenter, they were not throwaway or wasted years. And I would say the same is for you. Your time spent at your vocation or planning for your career as a student are not wasted years, are not wasted days. Because I'm going to tell you, you spend most of your time working. You spend most of your time studying so that you can work. And do you think what's really important is when we get together and worship, you study the Bible, you evangelize, and you make disciples, that somehow that is far more important than you wasting your time working. Do you, you, you categorize things like that? Like I got my Christian thing going on, and then I got to go to work. I get to go worship, and then I got to go study. Yeah, right? We separate, right? But what if I told you this? Your time studying, your time working is not wasted. Now, I'm going to even go further and say your time studying, your time working, what if you viewed your work as ministry? What? Yeah, seriously. What if you viewed your work as ministry? That I'm saying it's not wasted at all. In fact, you can be used by God, and it is ministry. And that's kind of where I want to go today when I talk about hands. I want to talk about your work as ministry. And it's going to be a, a, a way that we're going to include those who have jobs. I'm going to speak to those in here who are students. And I'm going to even speak to stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads. 
I have, I have several kids, and one of them is a, my oldest one's 15, he's in high school, he's a sophomore, and he's like, he's studying chemistry, some other type of math thing, I don't even know what he's studying, but he's like, he comes home, he's all, oh man, and he's studying, and he looks at me, he's like, what's the point? What am I doing this for? What? And as if I'm going to let him out of it. I mean, he's like, what am I doing here? And, and what I'm trying to say to him, and I want to say to any of the students in here, you're like, what is the point? Why am I doing this? There is a point. And if you've ever been in your job and said, what's the point? There is a point. And for those of you who are stay-at-home moms, your dad's pulling your hair out, there is a point. Your work, your vocation, what you spend the majority of your time doing, you can view as ministry. Now, I'm going to tell you that this concept of work and vocation in the church, it's, the, it's like the Christian thing to talk about right now, just in case you're wondering. There's tons of books and conferences on how our vocation and ministry and life all fit together. And there's, there's a lot of good books out there. But one of the best books that I've read I want to kind of take a lot from today is this book by Timothy Keller. It's a book called Every Good Endeavor. So if you're just going to buy one book that kind of summarizes all that, that is what I would go. Because what he does in his book, and he takes a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of people trying to mesh together this concept of vocation and work and how it fits in with ministry, and he kind of fleshes it out. And, and that's, I just want to take his broad categories and share them here with you this morning. And, and the way we're going to summarize this, we're going to summarize it with a big title called Ways to Serve God at Work. All right, is that simple enough? Ways to serve God at work, or ways to serve God as a student, or ways to serve God as a stay-at-home mom or dad. Just ways to serve God in general with what you spend most of your life doing. I'm starting the conversation today. We're going to continue it on this Wednesday morning. If you want to show up early, we talk about ways to serve God. We're going to continue it on this next Wednesday at 6.30. If you want to be there, if not, it's fine. This is a good, good starting point. So I'm going to start by giving you the big picture if you would like a theology of how work integrates with the Bible and how we're to understand that, I'm going to start with a theology of work. And the first way we can serve God at work is this. Check it out. Work from a Christian motivation to glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. So here's the big picture theology. Check it out. Our God is a God who works. And we are created in his image to work as well. So in the beginning, God created a garden and he put people in it, right? And he said, go work. And they were created to work. And it was to be done by humans in his image. And the work that was to be done was to be done, here we go, broad. It was to be done for the glory of God and it was to be done for the good of others. The glory of God and the good of others. That's the way he created us to work. Now, we know the story that sin entered the picture and corrupted everything. So now we have sin, we have messed up motivations, we have selfishness. And what we've done with work, we've now taken work, which was supposed to be for the glory of God and the good of others. Now we make work, often, for the glory of ourselves and the good of ourselves, right? We twisted it and corrupted it. That's what sin does. So are we stuck for the rest of our lives doing a job for the glory of ourselves, it's all about me and to serve me. Are we stuck in that because of the fall? And my answer is, no way. Because the gospel has invaded. Jesus has invaded. 
And he is invaded to live this perfect life and die in the place of selfish sinners like me and like you on the cross, buried, rose again. We repent, we believe. He fills us with his spirit. And the Bible says he gives us a new heart. So I would say that the gospel can return us to the prior reason why he has created us. If you're a believer in Jesus, I believe that once again, you can do your work, do your schoolwork, do your vocation, take care of your kids for the glory of God and the good of others. And the summarizing verse of all this, if you want to plaster it on your wall, is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, and whatever you're doing, you could have meaning and purpose as you're doing it for God. In fact, the Bible says that you are serving God. Here's the terminology from Colossians. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So no matter what you're doing, no matter how much you like it and how much you hate it, you are to be working for the Lord. And here's a great great quote from Greg Gilbert who says, Who you work for is more important than what you do. If you're a full-time mom, you don't work for your kids, praise God. You work for the Lord. For those of you, the students, you don't work for your teacher. You work for the Lord. Same goes for doctors and business people. You work for the Lord. And your work may be frustrating. Your studies may be frustrating. Your kids, I guarantee you, are frustrating. But your motivation is to give glory to God. So if the first part could be changed in our heart to give glory to God, what about the second part of that first? You can now serve others. So I'll tell you that you can do your work to give glory to God and serve others. And I'm going to kind of introduce a trendy term to you. It's kind of a trendy term. I think it's probably within the Christian culture. I think it's kind of cool. But rather than just saying glorify God and serve others, we can say glorify God and be involved with something called culture making. You ever heard that terminology before? Culture making. That's just floating around in the Christian world right now. And basically it means that we continue on God's work of creation by making and doing things that serve others. So a guiding principle would be Jesus' great commandment in Matthew 22. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your heart, right? And so in the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the ways that you're involved in loving your neighbor is culture making. That means that you're doing something in your job that is going to be serving someone else. You're continuing on God's work of culture making. It's very simple. You can summarize it in very many ways. Uh, uh, Keller puts it like this. So a farmer, a farmer grows food. You should be praising God for farmers, right? They're serving you. Musicians make beautiful music. Praise God. They served us this morning so we could worship. Designers create clothes. Thank you very much. Those who push brooms clean rooms. Others create technology. Our sound man has the new iPhone. I asked him if 
I could have it. He said no. But does that, you know, people who create technology, some of you have jobs that sustain technology so we can get things done. Teachers, for those of you who are teachers, you teach unformed minds. Those of you who are counselors, you help heal marriages. And artists create beautiful work so we can admire it, be encouraged by it. That's culture making. Think of your job in ways that you can glorify God and you're meant to glorify Him, but also serve other people. That should be your heart core motivation. And that's, that's the broad theology of work. But let's get into specific ways that you can serve God at work. You've got the broad theology, the broad motivation. Moving on to point two. Point two is this. Do skillful and excellent work. And I hope a few of you are convicted right now, because I'm just wondering, some of you may be slacking off recently at work. Some of you have been lazy in your studies, or you will be soon. (laughs) Some of you have been doing some shoddy work. I mean, does anybody in here really want to be known as the guy or the girl in the office who's just a slacker? That's bringing everybody else down because the work you're doing is not up to par. The Bible would exhort you to do excellent work. Proverbs 22, 20, 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, brothers and sisters, do not be sloppy. Do not be lazy in your studies. Do not be sloppy and lazy in your work. Do not be sloppy and lazy in raising your kids in the Lord. We're called to do excellent work that brings glory to God and serves others. So no matter what it is, you're serving God. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He says, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. No matter what you do, do it with excellence. Now, as we come to the third way we can serve God at work, this one probably speaks to me the most, and I hope that encourages you as well. Number three, why we serve God at work is that we work with a grateful, joyful, gospel-changed heart through all the ups and downs. We are a church who believes the gospel, which means this. We believe we're getting to heaven, not because we're good people, because we're not. We believe we're getting to heaven because Jesus is good, perfect, in fact. And as we trust him, the Father justifies us. That means he declares us righteous, accepts us by grace. That means we're not earning our salvation. It's granted to us, okay? That's what we believe in the gospel of Jesus. Now, take the gospel that we believe and transfer it over to the work that you do. What that means is that as you study... As you crank your job, your identity and acceptance must remain in the gospel. Why are you accepted? Is it because you get good grades? Is it because your kids behave well? Is it, is it because you've got promotion? Does that make you feel like somehow you've got exception? No, you're accepted in the gospel of Jesus. And unless you stake your life on this, you're going to be emotionally up and down, right? Because you're not always going to get the best grades. Will your identity be tied to your grades? Will your identity be tied to the behavior of your children? 
Will the, your identity be tied to your promotion? Because what if you don't get the grades? What if you don't get the promotion? And what if your kids go wacky? What happens then? You must root yourself in the gospel. So whether you have a job or not, whether your kids are you know, doing their thing or not, no matter what, root yourself in the gospel and your acceptance in Jesus. Which brings me to the fourth thing. You knew this one was coming. Be personally honest and share your faith. If you have a job, it should be obvious that you are a Christian, but it should not be annoying. Do not be an annoying Christian, all right? But it should be obvious you're Christian, and you should have opportunities to live out your character in what you believe. And there will come times where you will be tested. A former member of our church, great friend of mine, um, was leading one of our ethos communities. He was a graduate of Kellogg. And the first job he got out of Kellogg was a consultant here in Chicago. And as he was working for a certain client, he and his, uh, another person who was working with him, the other person who was a little higher up than him was, was misrepresenting some of the numbers to the client, which was going to hurt the client financially. So my friend's like, what do I do? Do I just ignore it? And so the client gets hurt financially. I'm a consultant. I just kind of ignore it, look the other way. Or do I go to my superior and say something about it? We were in ethos together. We prayed together. We, we encouraged him in his group. And he stepped up. He's like, you know, I'm going to live who I am. I'm going to speak the truth. And if I lose my job, I lose my job. So he spoke the truth by God's grace. It was tough for a while, but he didn't lose his job. They see his character because this is a man who stands on not just principles, but stands on the gospel, believing the truth, what is true, what's wrong, not to rip people off. And God honored him and encouraged him. So be who you are at work in your character, but also seek ways to intentionally Share the gospel. Just, just kind of aside here, this past week, my friend and I were on, were on the streets, and we were talking to this woman um, who was a Hindu, and she believed that her life kept happening over and over again. And we were trying to speak to her the truth of Jesus. And I, and I thought to myself, we are getting this woman to talk to her maybe for about 15, 20, 30 minutes. But she was very clear that she has a job and that she works with other people. And I don't, I don't know, maybe she works as one of you. My point is that I can go talk to someone on the street 15, 20 minutes, but you guys actually have jobs where you see people eight hours a day. And God has put you there, and at the appropriate time, chances are you need to talk and be intentional about sharing the gospel, whether it's in your classes or your jobs at the right times. And I can't give you all the logistics on how that's supposed to take place, but live out of who you are. There was a specific woman in New York. She worked at an architectural firm on Wall Street. And she, as she lived her life as a Christian at the job in New York, she had an opportunity to share the gospel a lot. And the reason why she had an opportunity to share the gospel is she adopted three important principles that I think are gold, and I'm going to share them with you right now. These three. Ready? Grumbling, gossip, glory. Grumbling, gossip, glory. Those three things. This is what she said. She determined at work, she kind of made a pact with herself, that she will never grumble or complain. Anybody want to adopt that right now? That when you go to work, no more complaining. You're in school, no more complaining. Number two, gossip. She refused to talk bad about anybody in the office. Students, when everybody else is dogging on your professor, 
Don't do it. Number three, she did everything for the glory of God. So as she's putting in these 16-hour days, she's not complaining. When people are dogging other employees, she's not talking about them. And she's doing her work with excellence. And she says, over time, people came to her time and time again, and she got to share the gospel with them. She got to speak the truth of Jesus to them. So be who you are at work. Be a Christian. Don't be annoying. Share the gospel. Number five. This, one's, this is one that we talked about among you. It's, it's about social justice. Number five, further social justice in the world. These are conversations that will happen as a student. These are conversations you will have with your family as you're growing in the future, right? How do you get a job where you kind of feel like you're doing social justice, right? I mean, there's some of you who have that job. You are a policeman. You have some, some shape of bringing mercy, justice, compassion. Some of you are social workers. Others of you are lawyers. Even some entrepreneurs can do a certain type of social justice work or even teachers or parents, where you meet people who are oppressed and you try to do something about it. There was a certain woman who had this burden for those with eating disorders, and she wanted to make a difference, so she came up with a business plan, and she started an eating disorder clinic. That's pretty cool. But most of you, you're not going to have jobs that really have a direct impact where you can do something from start to finish on social justice. Most of you are not going to have that kind of job where you're thinking about this and your business planning meetings all the time. It's not going to happen. But you can still have a little plan where you can gather the employees, where you can dabble on the side in social justice in some way, shape, or form. If you're an owner of a business, there's one in our, in our church right now on the side, he rallies his employees, and they do this huge shoebox Christmas project where they gather lots, hundreds of these boxes to help feed those who are poor, give them essential items to take care of them. That's, that's on the side as a business owner. He's thinking of ways to do social justice, compassion, mercy, while he owns a business. You can think through those things. But I know is that most of you are young, you're idealistic, you think, man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to change the world, I'm going to bring justice and mercy and compassion, I'm going to get it done. And often what you'll find is you get out there, you're like, man, this is hard. This is disappointing. This is discouraging. This is not working like the way I hoped it would work. I just want to encourage you, it, it will one day for sure work for good. When Jesus comes back, he will establish his kingdom. No more tears, no more suffering. That's coming. But until then, you're not the Savior, right? You're not the Savior. No, you're not. But until then, you can look forward to that time and make your dent in the world and think through ways that you can use your vocation, small ways, big ways, promote social justice, mercy, and compassion until Christ comes back. Well, as you have a job, some of you occasionally, hopefully, get paid. If you're a student, you don't get paid generally. But those of you who have jobs, you get paid. So what are you supposed to do with your money that you make? Money. Number six, make money and be generous. If you're able to make money, I'm going to tell you this. God is allowing you to get a paycheck. God is giving you that money. If you get paid, if you get paid this week, if you get paid next month, God gave you that paycheck. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18, says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So God enables you to get wealth. So God gives you this money, you get this paycheck. 
What are you supposed to do with it? One of the things I recommend that you do when you get paid is I recommend that you eat. Yes, God gave you money so that you can eat. It's very clear in the Bible in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So you get the money. God gives it to you. You use it to eat. But you also use it to provide for your family. In fact, the Bible says, if you do not take that money that you have and provide for your family, you're pretty much not just a loser, you're worse than an unbeliever, is what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, so the money comes in, use it to eat, use it to feed your family, feed those who are with you, use it to take care of them. But lastly, you want to use your money to be generous, to be serving other people. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, so God gives you money, use it to eat, all right? Use it to feed your family, to take care of your family, and you use it to be generous with other people. Now we've come to the point, before I jump into the last one, I want to say this. I realize that most of you don't have a clue what you want to do with your life, right? Yeah, you're like, you have no idea what you want to major in. And for those of you who have already majored in something, you have no idea what you're going to do once you get out of school. Get this, that's not new. You can be even 60 and not know what you're going to do. You can be 60 and asking the question, what am I going to do when I grow up? So that's not just a normal 20-something thing that you're asking. So how do you determine the will of God for your vocation, whether you're 20 or 60 or anything in between? How do you figure out what you're supposed to do with your life? God, will you please tell me, and I'll just do it. Like, what are you supposed to do? This brings us to point seven. Do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion. I mean, you can actually do a job that you actually might like, maybe. Yeah. In fact, the Bible says, if you're able to get a job and you enjoy it, God gave it to you, and God is allowing you to enjoy it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment, and all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoicing his toil, this is the gift of God. So if you enjoy your work right now, you enjoy your major, praise God. He's allowing you to enjoy your work and your major. Praise him. But the reality is you also live in a fallen world where sin has invaded and things are not perfect. And this is what you may say of your major. This is what you may say of your job. You may say this, just like the author of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And I know some of you feel that right now. You're going to drive, take the train to work tomorrow, and you're like, pointless. This is pointless. This is meaningless. I hate my job. I hate my major. I'm supposed to love my kids, but this is so hard. It just feels so meaningless. Go back to the beginning. 
Who you work for is more important than what you do. Who you work for is more important than what you do. Because you will go through seasons in your life, you will go ups and downs in your job, ups and downs in your family, where you think, what's the point? The point is, oh yeah, I work for God, and so I can serve others. So how do you discern what you're supposed to do? How can you tell what you're supposed to do with your life? Right? So let's make it really simple. If you're from a country that has freedom, and I'm not assuming that all of you are, maybe you'll go back to a country where you don't have freedom to choose your employment. But if you have the ability in a certain country, whatever country, this country, to choose your employment, and if the job that you're choosing is ethical, and it somehow contributes to this world in some form of service or good, then feel free to pursue that job with passion or joy. Just, you know, you have permission to do it. But a great, great kind of grounding quote, once again from Greg Gilbert, he says, Discerning God's will really comes down to what you want to do, multiplied by what you're gifted to do, multiplied by what opportunities are available to you right now. So you just take those three things, okay, what am I gifted to do, what do I wanted to do, what's opportunity, boom, there I'm at it, right there, do it. And when those three things come together for you, I mean, it's a great thing, it's a great joy-filled thing. But I want to give, kind of give you two cautions here at the end, or two things to think about as you start to pursue your major, you pursue your career, or even your second, third, fourth career, fifth career, you're just making some shifts in your life right now. Some things to keep in mind. In your major, in your job, it's going to ebb and flow. You're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days. You're going to have some good seasons. You're going to have some bad seasons. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in one of those spots right now in your major, on your job, even at home, and it's hard, maybe you need to push through it. Maybe you just need to keep going. Because there are a lot of us that can look back and say, I praise God I did not quit my job. I praise God I did not quit my major. Maybe you just need to stick it out. It will ebb and flow. Even in your dream job, it will ebb and flow, and keep persevering. But the second part is, though, as I speak to many of you who are, most of you, you know, like half of you are students in here, and, you, and you're in your major right now, and you hate your major. You hate the classes you're taking. I mean, you just hate it. And if your major is connected with your future job, and you hate your major, and you're probably going to hate your future job, what's going to be harder to change, your major or your job? I don't know. Just think about that. Just think about these things. It's okay to pursue your passions. It's okay to pursue those things that give you joy. And if you are just miserable right now than what you're pursuing, consider a shift. It's not the end of the world to change your major. I changed my major. Many of you have. It's not the end of the world. To say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What brings me joy? What am I good at? What opportunities are out there? Maybe you need to have a shift in your life right now. So what are you supposed to do with your life? A lot of you are freshmen, so I'm going to give you a quick commencement speech four years down the road. What's it going to be like for you four years down the road? Because you can make decisions now that get you ready for when you graduate. There is a, a speaker who, the founder of Dropbox, maybe many of you used, used Dropbox. The founder of Dropbox, is, is, he gives this great illustration. His name is Drew Houston. He gives this great wisdom at a commencement speech. He said this, the happiest and most successful people he knows get obsessed with figuring out a certain problem. So the happiest and most successful people we know are the ones that are locked in figuring out a certain problem. And he said, very simple, he said, it kind of reminds me of a, a dog chasing a tennis ball. Really simple. 
And he said, you know, you could throw the tennis ball and boom, the dog's off. It's bounding. It's breaking the leash. It's jumping over things. It's going through barriers. It just wants to get that tennis ball. And what Houston says is what you need to do is find something that you don't have to continue to to push yourself to go after. He said, find something that pulls you. He's basically said, find your tennis ball. (laughs) What is that thing that pulls you? What is that thing that you want to figure out? And my brothers and sisters, that may be God's providence. That may be God's sovereign hand placing upon your heart and your mind a certain problem, something that you want to address, something that is a passion that just pulls you. What is that thing that pulls you? Perhaps that should be your vocation. Perhaps that should be your career. What pulls you? Maybe that's God's providence. But whatever you decide to do, or whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're figuring out, you must do this, and I cannot do this strong enough. You must do that in community. Whether you are an undergrad student or a grad student or a Kellogg student, I want to encourage you, be involved with campus ministries. You can be with your peers and you can make these decisions together and you can dive into things and figure stuff out together. So I wholly endorse many of the campus ministries. But let me encourage you strongly to jump into one of our ethos communities, one of our small groups. Because there is something that our church can offer you and our ethos communities that the campus ministries can't offer you. There's one thing that overrides what they can offer you and that one thing is this. Old people. I'm telling you, we have people who've gone before you. We've dealt with these things. We've thought through these things. We've prayed about these things. We've agonized. And we would love to just be with you. During your 18, 19, 20, 20, whatever age. Let's figure this out together. So jump in an ethos community. Jump in with those who are older, can surround you and love you and pray for you. I know many in our congregation right now are just struggling, struggling. What am I doing with my life? My my career is miserable. Maybe your major is miserable. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You're like, God, just show me. Maybe that's you right now. And so I'm just wondering, maybe this is a time you're in this phase of your life. A lot of you have a lot of new beginnings. A lot of you is kind of fuzzy. So I think it's a time for a lot of us to say, okay, God, today kicking off the fall I'm recommitting my life to you I recommit my career to you I commit to you my vocation Lord shift it move it rearrange it keep it the same whatever you want God I just commit my life to you we come to him and say okay God just take my life and I want to do worship and I want to bring you fame and I want to bring you glory and so whatever it's going to take me to bring you the most fame and the most glory go ahead and use me so take this time now you're cranking you're about to start the fall recommit your life to the lord recommit your vocation recommit it all give him all